and welcome once again to Pod B with you. This is Paige from the Congregational Church of Batavia. And Aaron from the First Congregational Church of Dundee. Less death talk this week. Yeah, a little bit. We'll promise Just... an almost 90% reduction week <laughs> over week in death talk. There will be some death talk, I'm Inevitably, sure. Yeah, but... As it is. Uh, we have another Bible study. I am going to be speaking about Genesis and the story of Jacob wrestling with the quote-unquote angel. That's out of nowhere. Fascinating that, I and mean, wonderful yeah. story. I mean, the it, angel literally came out of nowhere. I mean, that was part of the <laughs> part of the point of it. Uh, Thank you very much. And you're still in Matthew. I'm still in Matthew. With a real parable that is, like many parables, um, hard to understand. And maybe the another way of saying it is easily misunderstood. Easily misunderstood. Which is... Well, almost more troubling at times. Yeah. And so it'll take a little bit of time to be able to say, it isn't this. Hmm. But what is it then? And hmm. so we'll be able to talk about that. But I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a cool parable. Um, and With the wonderfully like judgy title of The Wise and Foolish Bridesmaids. Yeah. Yeah. Which the... we've known some of each in our time. Plenty of weddings. <laughs> mostly, mostly foolish, to, well, truth be told. I mean, it's, they were going through a lot. They were. There was a lot going on. So, Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> How many pastors have not had to go out into the parking lot to say, yes, this counts as church grounds. You can't drink here either. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, bless their hearts a million mm, times. Yeah, but I've been around some flammable groomsmen and some flammable bridesmaids yeah. in the sanctuary. And yeah. It's not great, folks. So let, this is our little PSA. The more you know yeah, from if your you're pastors, gonna, your no. pastors can smell it. And and we're not amused. No, and it's not it's not as charming as you think it no, is. No, no. Um, especially if you're doing, you know, you have a big veil and a unity candle, and you are in plenty of hairspray. <laughs> and like, everything's and, and you're breathing breathing vapor. It's not. <laughs> Great. This has taken a weird turn to start. But uh, oh. I've, you've gone first the last couple of weeks. I'm going first. Yeah. I'm playing it this week. Uh, we're starting our stewardship season. I say season pretty euphemistically here. It's just a few weeks where we're talking yeah. about the upcoming year. You, the big thing for us, and you were here with us for seven years, and so you know what a big deal this is. We just paid off our church mortgage. That's just, that's astonishing. That's it, fabulous. It really is. Yeah. 17 years ago... There was three million when I got here almost fifteen years ago. Two point eight five million in that time. We have paid it off, and it's not just we've raised enough. We have literally paid it off, closed the account, done. It's done, and we are starting what's next, and that is so exciting. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. As we tell the story about ourselves, in the next three weeks, we're going to do past, present, and future. We're going to talk about where we have been, talking about where we are, and we're talking about the vision for where we're going. And, of course, what that's going to take and what we want to do. But also with our new choices that we have. Yeah, like suddenly the possibilities year, are real. All of a sudden we've yeah. got new challenges yeah. for 2024 that we haven't had in almost 20 years, which is, so what do we choose for what's next? Yeah. As opposed to just how can we maintain this? It's, well, all of a sudden we have some different things to do. And then you got different people with different visions, different yeah. priorities, different proportions yeah. of the same thing. So what are we going to choose and why and what is it going to take? So... This week is the the looking back on what has been and what it has been in a lot of ways, again, you know this, is a real struggle. Yeah. Uh, and, and not to say that we were not benefiting greatly from it. We are. And at the same time, it has been extremely limiting. Yeah. Uh, it has been a source of great anxiety. It has really 
warped our conversations. It has warped uh, where our attention has been as a yeah. congregation. I mean, we did for 10 years straight at one point, we were doing some sort of capital campaign or special giving campaign just to raise enough to service the debt on yeah. the mortgage. And, you know, it, it was also grief. I mean, I th- we lost people because of this, because yeah. it was such a struggle, because of what we couldn't do, because of what they didn't want to hear about anymore. Anymore. I, yep. You know, it, there was a lot of it that was a real struggle. And it was also, in its own way, engaging mm-hmm. and unifying and clarifying. And it did some, it helped shape who we were. We were, we got at least some of our identity from being the church on the hill and the church that was trying this new thing yep. that took this huge leap of faith in 2003 to 2006 to build a new church home that after we had been in a place for over a century in one building yeah. to say we're going to do something new there was the sense of we're stepping out into trying something new instead of just clinging to what we had known yep. and trying to fix the roof and still have no parking and dying slowly within a tiny downtown church or whatever that future would have been right yeah so the story that came to mind for me to characterize some of that struggle now that we're I mean, we do a lot of talking about, and this is the new season ahead of us, and this is where it's taking us, and what's now possible. We're free, and we're not always, I'm not always, great at, before we go and leave what has been, really stopping for a moment and naming it and thanking it for what it was and acknowledging the ways in which it shaped us. Mm Uh, And so the story came from this Jacob wrestling with the angel where he will not let that angel, that supernatural man, whatever he is, will not let him go until he blesses him or unless he blesses him. Um, So this is that story from Genesis 32. Brief word of context, as you may know, uh, you know, Jacob came out right grasping at the heel of Esau. He steals Esau's birthright. Um, Jacob is ambitious and willful and deceitful in his own way brilliant clever a lot of other things charmingish rogue that he was and at the same time he has reached a place in his life where that is no longer working as well for him we can say that and he has in some ways through great fear (laughs) realized that it's time to reconcile with his brother esau yeah in part because esau is coming to get him so he is on his way to try to encounter Esau before he gets there, try to not cut him off, but try to reach him first. So maybe he'll just kill me and not kill all of my Everybody, household and yeah. everything and all the women and children. This is what comes up before this. And so he is setting out on the journey. And that's where we find Jacob on the way to see Esau out ahead of the entire party that is uh, marching with him. And... Jacob was left alone. This is Genesis 32, 24 through 31. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. We should say the word is the word for man. There's a word for angel and it's not it. That's not it. Yeah. So it's not an angel, but there's some supernatural stuff going (laughs) on here. Yeah, this is not just any old dude. It is. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We should say that different translations say unless and until, which have some different connotations. We right. can talk about that. But somewhere in the conflation of those two meanings, some conditional word, I will not let you go unless or until you bless me. So then he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But the man said, why is it that you ask my name? And, therefore, and there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And then Usually that's where we cut it off, but the next verse is, and that's why we don't. I'm yeah, that's why we that's don't why eat we, the, 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 the meat, ten, yeah. yeah, the tendon and the meat on the thigh bone by the hip socket because of that. And so part of me always found it slightly delightful, the idea that maybe this entire story was it's invented to explain to why we don't eat that part of the bird. But and, and we I don't have, think that's what it yeah, actually is. We have invested it with so much meaning. No, yes. there's, this is a, this is such a beautiful story. It really is. Yeah. And I think it's one that, that people they get it yes right we are we are a people who have all of us at some point in our lives struggled yes and we know what it is to hold on until the blessing comes um and uh and i or or to just have the hope that the blessing will come mm. and um i that think there's meaning in this struggle, yeah that yeah that it's not just meaningless yes yeah. it's not just suffering for suffering's sake um, so yeah, I think that this is such a great story and it's so, uh, it's so layered. There's so much going on here. That's just fantastic. So there is in some, it's a very, I'll bust out my literary criticism again here. It's a very archetypal story. Nice. Right. There yeah. I mean, it is a classic hero's journey kind yep. of story, right? Our, our hero sets out into the unknown on some sort of journey or quest, encounters some sort of a conflict or antagonist struggles, is wounded by it, but in the wounding is also changed and given new purpose and new meaning and comes out the other side of this, a new person, better prepared for what's next and somehow having received both a wound and a gift. Yes. Right? Somehow broken and blessed by the struggle itself and and made ready for their real purpose kind of a thing. I mean, it's a, it's a classic yes. arc in it that is, way. It is. Um. It is also, I think, because it is archetypal that way, there are some, it, it is part, it is a core pattern, as you said, of human experience yeah. that our struggles are difficult and painful and they in some ways break us down and, and, and we continue to live. Should we be lucky enough to heal from, survive them and heal from them? We, we bear the, the marks of this, yes. right? We, we walk differently after. We move differently after. We, yes. are, we limp after these. And they, in some ways, make us who we are. And yeah. they bless us. And they prepare us. They ch- this is a change story. Yeah. Uh, it is a it, transformation. It, yeah. At its and, heart. And you have uh, Jacob uh, transforming on his way. Right, to reconcile with Esau, maybe not even knowing what that means yet. Yep. Just saying, you know, he stole a bunch of stuff from him. Maybe if I give him his stuff back, he won't kill me. Well, on some level, that's a good enough reason for reconciling with someone. Please forgive me. Here's your stuff back. 
But I think God is trying to enact a deeper change in Jacob. Yeah. That said, no, you really actually, you need to change as a person to reconcile with your brother. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a change in here, and the renaming reflects this from Jacob as this striving, ambitious, deceitful, ego-driven trickster, perp- trickster yeah. into someone who would be prepared to be the father of nations. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, it, we should say, to skip to the other side of this, that the next day he goes out and he puts all the women and children and household and everybody behind him. He goes out behind him. He goes out and throws himself on the ground, bows himself to the ground seven times as he makes his way toward Esau. And then it says, and Esau ran to greet him and threw his arms around him and kissed his neck and wept. There's transformation in Esau too. There is. Right? There's this, this act of reconciliation transforms both brothers uh, in a really powerful sort of way. And I, I just love the story, right? Um, and I wish we had more of it from Esau's perspective. Mm. That that would be really fun. That would be a piece of the scripture that I would love had it been handed down. That would be a wonderful creative writing prompt. It would, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, it, sounds absolutely. Like, it sounds like a div school creative writing prompt, doesn't it? <laughs> so I write this story, but from Esau's perspective. But from Esau, yeah, exactly. But no, be delightful. Yeah. And so it has a happy ending. Um I hear actually in that, you know, Jesus tells the story, of course, of the prodigal son, yep. and I know you were going there too, is when the he also, you know, comes back in abject misery and, and comes back humbling himself uh, before his father, trying to beg himself back into a relationship and a place in the household. And Jesus tells the story of the father, while he was still far off, ran out to meet him yep. and embraced him. I, it seems pretty clear that Jesus is evoking this moment here of yeah. Esau running to embrace his long lost brother. This yeah. brother of mine was lost, but now he's found. He doesn't say that, but it certainly it's feels that, it's like that it, right? It's that energy. It's that same energy. It is. It is. Yep. Um, Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. There's so many different things that could be said about this. I love the ambiguity, first of all, in this story about who this man who comes to wrestle with Jacob is, mm. right? It, it, and I, it's a brilliant piece of storytelling because it allows us to enter in and see the adversary we need to see. That's exactly it. Right? Is it, it's whoever the reader needs it to be. Exactly. Yep. And that, that that sacred ambiguity there, is it is it God? Is it Esau himself? Is it is, is it, it an angel of the Lord? Is, is, it, it, within, a is it his own ego? Is it, yeah, exactly. Right? right? You don't know. And that beautiful ambiguity allows us to be able to say, Oh, this is this is my life. <laughs> mm. I see it reflected here very, very um, uh, articulately because yes. of of the ability to be able to do that, and and uh, and it also allows us then to interpret this story in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can, uh, I remember <laughs> uh, when I went to the unnamed seminary, which shall again remain unnamed. Uh, I had a preaching class, and I remember going in. And the first sermon I preached, uh, he, he, he had handed out the text that we were supposed to be using. And the first sermon I preached, he said, well, that's not right because that's not the point of that passage. And I said, Ooh. I said, what? And he said, well, a passage only means one thing. I think this is a great example wow. of where a passage can have multiple interpretations depending upon how you see particular pieces of it. And it's supposed to, right? It's not supposed to be this static thing throughout time. 
Um, the brilliance of these texts and the reason that they've been handed down for thousands of years is precisely because they're malleable and they can shift to fit where we need to be. And I think this is a great example of that. There's yeah. so many different interpretations depending on how you enter in. What an ignorant and myopic thing to say. <laughs> I mean, not you, the professor. No, yeah. no. Not you, not not to mention that, like, when you speak of a passage and you've got all these different kinds of literature in the Bible, right. that, like, poetry is only meant to mean one thing. That's a ridiculous thing yeah. to say, right? Not to mention that meaning is actually made in relationship, obviously, between yep. the, those who, the text and those who encounter it. And that is going to change. So, yep. Uh, if it meant one thing, then just let that guy re record 10 years worth of sermons and just play him back for the next 2,000 years. Because yeah. it only means one thing, apparently. Yeah. What a what an absurd thing to say. <laughs> I have feelings about that. Uh, it's but very clear you do. I do. I, I'm encountering this for the first time, and I'm not happy with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, but you're right. This story is a great example. It's a story, literally a story. So let it be a story. Yeah. And like all stories, there's a lot of room yeah. in it. So uh, we see Jacob literally, we, we see him changing. We have him transform, transform. We see the new name marking this new identity. And we also see him being changed for something. Yeah. And of course, one of the, the questions for all of us in this story is, what are the struggles that we may not have chosen that also made us who we are. Speaking of ambiguity, yeah. then I am not comfortable saying that these are God-given struggles Yeah, in the sense that God causes conflict pain, especially as we start talking about deep grief stuff, yeah. accidents and diseases and people being awful. God doesn't cause these things no. to happen to us. God is there in our response. And yet, and this is the ambiguity, we as human beings make meaning in funny ways through the struggle. And sometimes it has been very true for people, and I have a hard time denying it, that they feel like they were given a struggle, a conflict, uh, something unresolvable, something painful, uncomfortable to force them into change or growth that they were otherwise resisting. Yeah. That, but that God needed to, quote unquote, grow them into who they needed to be. Yeah. And they were grateful. And it felt it was so necessary that it felt to them like a gift. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to be the one that talks them out of it. No. And say, God doesn't work that way. How dumb is that? It just happened. But I'm also not going to be the one that say God walks around just like plopping stuff into people's lives to give them pain and grief and loss. Right. And so somewhere in all of that is the truth as we experience it. But it is, um, as, I, as I said before, it is not just recognizing that God is with us in our response to co-create a new life, to grow, to find meaning and purpose yeah. and, and, and important change in struggle. That's true. Uh, but also in a culture 
that is so quick to move beyond or away from anything pain. Well, like we're death avoidant, as we talked about, yep. and death ignorant. Well, we're pain avoidant and pain ignorant and struggle ignorant. Yeah. And we, if we don't live with that that often, we think that's the bad stuff and we have to stay away from that when actually that's a place where a lot of spiritual growth happens. Yeah. Uh, and we love to move past it really, really quickly. We want people to get over it really, really quickly because we're uncomfortable seeing somebody else in pain. So we tell them everything happens for a reason and God yeah. wanted another angel in heaven and God never gives you more than you can handle. And it's all for good. You know, we, and those cliches. All that, the pablum that makes yeah. us say we're uncomfortable. Would you please get over it so I can go back to my life? Yeah. Uh, we are so quick often to move past things or to just put your head down and get through it that we don't necessarily do the wrestling work of the struggle. Yeah. We endure it, we survive it, and then we move past it as quickly as possible. And there is something faithful here in saying, as I mentioned before, I will not let this go until or yeah. unless I find a blessing in it. To really hold on to it. Um, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I just, thinking, just thinking about that, too. The fact that this story at the heart of it is a stalemate in some ways, yes. right? That, that there's a stuckness mm, that occurs for, for both of them, right? And it doesn't seem like either one is able to get the upper hand. Um, and uh, I, I just, there's a sacredness in that stuckness, too. And I think that very often, exactly like what you're saying, we don't see it because we don't feel it. When we're there, it's awful. Yes. And it doesn't feel like one of those places where God is near. And yet, in some ways, that's where um, God can be the closest in, in, those, in those places and seasons where we feel like we've stalled out mm. or we're stuck or whatever. It reminds me, all of this reminds me of another reconciliation story, which is so fantastic, uh, which is Joseph and his brothers. Yes. Right? And uh, the language that Joseph uses when his brothers come and apologize uh, for stripping him and throwing him into well and selling him into slavery, which is kind of a big deal, right? It's not ideal. It's not ideal. Um, the The language that Joseph uses is what you meant for evil, God has used for good. Mm. And I think that that also gets at the heart of some of this this ambiguity that you were talking about as well. It's not necessarily something that God brings into our lives, but that doesn't mean that God cannot be present with us in the midst of it. And even use it to yes. co-create with us. Yes, something amazing. Yes. Yeah. I love that idea. I'm very compelled by this language of co-creation. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that finds it's relational and it's create. And I like the idea that it is, it's both and. Is God doing this to us or are, are we choosing something and actively participating out of our own response? And the answer is yes, right? Yep. We are co-creating something with God out of or in the midst of this kind of struggle. Yep. I also think... Uh, this is Joseph saying that this has changed him. It's his brother saying, we are changed people. Um, and and to remember it here, you know, Jacob changes, becoming Israel, right? One of the analogies that we used in Bible study and someone mentioned is there's a, there's a difference between, you know, let's say you have someone who is struggling with uh, addiction or something in your life and a loved one, and they, they steal money out of your purse, to go buy drugs or alcohol or something. Um, and you catch them doing it. And then they say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. Here's your 20 bucks back. 
does that make it better? No. Right? So if this is Jacob saying, Esau says, you stole all this from me. And Jacob says, yeah, you're right. Here's all your stuff back. Does that really address it? Have you told me how you've changed? Do you know what, so what is different about you? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, And I think that that, Jacob may be setting out, I want to make this right. And his first idea is like, well, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put the 20 bucks back. And God is saying that is not sufficient. That is not actual reconciliation because that's not actual justice. That's not real transformation. And so I am going to work with you on real change. And it's going to be harder. That's the other piece of this story is sometimes I think we get the impression or we're given the impression that our lives are full of struggle and frustration and pain when we're not aligned with God's will. But if we were to only do what God wants for us, our life would be full of ease and peace and pleasure and whatever. And to say it all goes super well. Yeah. Let's just say it's not in most people's experiences and not by the testimony of most of our spiritual ancestors. That's not how it works. Right. And so uh, you can be on, quote unquote, the right path, doing the right thing, trying to do good. And that can bring you to great struggle yep. and frustration and painful, uncomfortable stuff. Yep. In fact, it may do that more often than when you were just trying to avoid all that stuff. Yep. Right? I, and so this is also, I think, important for us that God is not bringing the struggle, that God is in the struggle, but that the faithful life should not be without struggle. Again, it goes back to that basic characterization of uncomfortable, painful, struggling things as being bad. Yeah. Pain is bad. Pleasure is good. And God is good. So if th- if you feel great, God's with you. If you're in pain, God must be far away from you. You must have done something wrong. There's yeah. a lot of real bad theology based yes. on that. Yes. But as it is, I, I think what we truly have here is uh, someone who... This is for everyone who has been in this place or knows someone who has been in this place where everything on the surface of their life looks fantastic, but underneath it and within themselves, there is turmoil, corrosion, conflict, chaos, sadness, grief, just lostness, frustration. But to look at everything, it would seem as though it was fine. And then to have someone go through a change and have that outer illusion of put togetherness and health and wellness be shattered. Yep. And it looks like chaos. But and and it looks like they're having a much harder time, but inside them they are finally at peace. Yeah. And inside them they know they are in the right place and they are encouraged and they have hope and things are aligned in in the right way. That that seems to be what's going on with Jacob here. Yeah. Because his life was, on the surface, fine yeah. before, but he was dying from inner conflict and mm-hmm. this unresolved stuff. And then here, he's wounded, it's worse, he's struggling, it's just dark night of the soul stuff, um, but he's on the actual right path and, yeah. and changing. So a- another kind of spiritual growth lesson for us in this. Yeah. In an archetypal, ancient human core pattern kind of way yeah it's fantastic it's really good stuff yeah it's an amazing story so we're going to talk a little we're going to try to do that faithful discipline of naming what has been difficult 
but also the ways in which what has been difficult for us has also blessed us. Yeah. Before we're so quick to move on and say, thank God that's over. Yep. We're going to say, nope, we will, I will not let you go. And, Reflect on it yeah. just a little bit. See if we can find the ble- name the blessings. Yeah. Because we're a different church because of it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and I would say, having having been part of this congregation mm-hmm. and observing it a little bit from the outside, too, that the congregation is stronger and more nimble if that mm. makes any kind of sense less right? stuck less like, stuck sure. less less bound by what it, the expectations of church are mm. um and uh and more able to kind of see things with this this god's eye view um and and uh, not afraid to take that leap of faith anymore right yeah and i think in some ways healthier yeah in some ways it it, it has shown us who wants to be here. Yeah. <laughs> we are, That's the truth. And we are filled with people who want to be yep. here, which is a great thing. And if we say, this has been really hard. Can't believe we did this. This has been, oh, we didn't know that the financial crisis was going to happen. We didn't know that blah, blah, blah was going to happen. And, and yep. that's, but we would never would have done it if we had known blah, blah. And then we look and so, wow, that was hard. But if we look back and say, where would we be had we not done this? I don't know of anybody who would take, I'm sure there are folks, but I don't know of anybody who would take prefer that, that yeah. and say, the other thing is it's the year 2023. We're still in that building. Um, what do you think this congregation is? It's looking then? like, yeah. Right. So you can be on the quote unquote right path, a good path, a path of, of, of growth and have it be really, really hard. It's yeah. not a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. In fact, as we said, just to belabor the point, it might be a fact that you, it might be a sign that you're doing the right. That you're thing. doing the exactly yeah. the right thing. Yep. And conversely, just because things are super comfortable for you, doesn't necessarily mean you're doing what can be the more difficult, faithful thing. Yeah, you might just be complacent, yeah. too comfortable, at avoiding some of the stuff that God is calling you to. Yeah. Well, that's for all of us to find ourselves in this story awesome and it's yeah it, it's uh, this is one of my favorites to return to a time and again it's it's uh I, I it's love, a special story it is and i love genesis i mean there's so much in genesis that is so profoundly archetype uh, archetypal which is, yes. uh, is which is what it's supposed to be right yes, I mean, our ancient stories yes. are gonna be yep. yeah absolutely but they're so they're so relatable to me even though these thousands of years have passed so well let's talk a little bit now then about our wise and foolish bridesmaids let me as you put on your glasses like an old old person i know (laughs) they were giving me a headache and so i had to take them off and now now that i have to read off of my uh cell phone i definitely need them you have struggled with text size and prevailed (laughs) i have Um, (laughs) i therefore rename you bifocal And trifocal. Yes. Oh, trifocal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I have gone directly to the trifocals. Anyway, we're in we're in Matthew twenty five. Again, just a reminder as we enter in. This is still Holy Week. And again, in case you haven't heard this the last yeah, six weeks, this is. I mean, it, it's and like you said last week, it's so weirdly out of joint, mm. right? I mean, to to be talking about Holy Week. As we're coming up on Advent, I mean, literal weeks away from the beginning of Advent, it seems and so we're weird. Stories that feel like Lent stories. They do. They feel yep. like Lent stories, and and rightly so. Um, but here we have this one. It's the the story of the wise and the foolish uh, bridesmaids. So I'm going to read it real quick, 
Um, it is and, as weird for everybody who's like, I don't get what they're on about. If you're in the rhythms of the season, the timelines, the way that we have been for 20 years, 20 years now, it's as weird as singing like a Christmas carol in July. It you're is. like, this is, doesn't feel like the season for this. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Matthew 25. Verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, Hmm. for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, if you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Um, I We had uh, uh, our Wednesday morning Bible study yesterday. And one of uh, the fabulous women who's part of that Bible study um, has a, 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 a religious past very much like mine in, in sort of that evangelical conservative church. And she said, man, I hate this one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> because I, of I was, the way... Yep. Because of the way it has been interpreted and used. It is so hard to not read a manipulative, fear-based vigilance and urgency right. into her, you better be good and you, be, you better not watch out. You yeah. better not cry. Like, because you're going to get locked back out. And you're like, you're going to be left behind and not loving it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so. Because as though God is this petulant, random, you know bust people on a technicality and cast cruel uncaring yeah it's very it's very weird it's very yes it's a very weird story so i think there's a couple ways to look at it one of that is from that sort of historical context in which matthew is written like 85 so we're two generations out from the life of christ and um and people of that time had been under the impression that Christ was going to return any second now. Yeah, two generations ago. Yeah. I mean, you had Paul writing literally in the years following Jesus' yep. death that trying to explain to people, and this was the past that the accompanying text from Thessalonians, from Thessalonians, right? yep. Trying to explain to them as they went, listen, I thought none of us were going to pass away until he came back. And we start to see some of our contemporaries passing away. And he had to give a response to that. This is, you know, this is... Uh, 30 years after that. Yeah. And and so there's there's a grappling that the community is having with, is this going to happen? What do we do if the bridegroom tarries, right? And so the, the question of the bridegroom being late um, in this text, that that's where that comes from. Like, you know, that under, what do we do with this? What do we make of this? And so there is this sort of eschatological way of looking at this text. That said... And the response in the, the words that every choir sings on this Sunday when we have this, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, yes, right? Yes, I believe that might be one of our hymns. <laughs> I um, wouldn't be surprised. Keep your, yeah, well, 
But it, and also, um, keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Right. That he will come like a thief in the night. Like the, it is, it is of a piece with all of these sort of yeah. pay attention, it could happen any minute, urgency kind of passages. Exactly. And there is, there is that. There is this history in the uh, Hebrew Bible and the New Testament of this understanding that someday the kingdom of God will be made manifest on earth. And that may be jarring, mm. to say the least, right? It, it will be unexpected, and when it happens, it will not be necessarily what we were expecting. We don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be this marriage of heaven and earth, which is why we get so much of this marriage language. That's another thing that I was reading in some of the commentaries that I was I was up on. Protestants are not really keen on this language of of marriage as a metaphor for union with God. Um, Mainline Protestants. Mainline Protestants. Catholics are a little bit more comfortable with that for sure. There's a little bit more of the church is the bride of Christ. Right. But uh, mainline, mainline Protestants don't dig it very much. But it's a there's a long tradition in the Hebrew Bible and in Jesus's language about seeing that as a great celebration and a time when that covenant between heaven and earth will come to fruition, right? And so that language and that metaphor of wedding, wedding banquet, wedding feast, marriage is celebration becoming one. Yep. A lot. Of, it, the, there are limits and certainly dysfunctions to that metaphor. Yes. But there's also, and so it's limited like any metaphor. Right. But there are some really beautiful, uh, I don't know, fruitful kind of places where that works, like that that it's trying to point at, some really faithful things. Oh, yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think one of those things is, um, this, this came out of our conversation uh, yesterday, too, is that um, that 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 moment when those things converge, when heaven and earth converge, when the kingdom of God is made manifest, doesn't mean that this earth is gone. It means that it is transformed in the same way that we were kind of talking about Jacob, right? There's going to be some struggle. It will be difficult, but there's a transformation that's going to occur. And um, in, in a day and age when... So let's go there real quick. All right. All right. There's a lot of conversation in some circles of Christianity right now mm. about the fact that we are in the end times and um, everything's just going to burn and God's going to start all over again because of what's happening in the Middle East, right? There's yep, and, or, or pick it and, and vaccines yeah. and then every yeah. generation. There are some in every generation who think it's the apocalypse. Exactly, and apocalypse for them mm. means the end. Well, the end of this creation. Yes, yes. the end of this creation, which yep. is why we have people who are like, we don't have to worry about climate science because it doesn't matter anyway. It's not going to last. Yes. And I think that these stories about that that marriage, that celebration, that covenant are precisely opposite to that. Yes. They are saying, oh, no, this creation is a sacred, beloved piece. Beloved by yes. God, that's it. Beloved by God, and it is something to be protected and celebrated and nurtured. And because it will be, yes, it will be a new creation, but it does not get rid of what was. And so I, I love these marriage stories for precisely that. It's like the blending of two families, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's really great. The other thing that is interesting about this, and I, I want to be careful about it, because I think there's a tendency 
in the progressive church especially, mm. to hear these stories about like the the parousia. We were trying to figure out how you say that. I, but, I always say parousia in my head. It's wrong, I'm sure. Yeah. But that's what I say in my head when I see that word. But I, I mean, try not to say it out loud. Yeah, yeah. I try to say it out Better loud. Better to close one mouth and, and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yes. The second coming. Yes. Um, to, to kind of say, well, that's... That's not really about us. That's something, that's a story that was told and it, it's not really about us and we don't have to consider it all that much. Um, because of the ways that it's been uh, misunderstood and appropriated, I think, in other contexts. But the understanding that Jesus had really clearly was that the kingdom's coming mm. and it's breaking in even now. And so if we look at this story and we think about it in terms of some kind of mythical far off future where something's going to happen, it doesn't affect us. Why would I preach on this? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't really have anything to do with the way we live now. I think another way to look at this is to see Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking in right now. So pay attention and be ready for when you see glimpses of it throughout your day, because mm. it'll happen. The kingdom is there. It's just and on the other side. Unexpected. And unexpected, yes, when you least expect it. And be prepared. Not a, not a, not a vengeful, not a frightened be prepared because well, God based. is going to get you. Yeah, not fear-based. It's more like there are opportunities arriving at any given moment. Yes, it, it, it's what you were saying about co-creation just yes. a few minutes ago, right? That we are called to be in this. It, again, it's covenant with the divine, and we're called to be part of it and in it and to offer what we have to be able to build that 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 better world, that kingdom that's going to be in our midst. And we don't know when the opportunities are going to surprise us. And so we need to be ready all the time. Um, and uh, I think that that's a great way to kind of take what could be one of those stories where we go, oh, that's interesting. It doesn't really have anything to do with my day to day and kind of shift it in a way that I think Jesus would approve of, mm -hmm. as Jesus said, and rightly so. Um, <laughs> well, how um, many times does he have to say the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand? It's at hand. Wait, yeah. repent or change your mind or wake up or whatever yep. you want to say and believe in that good news. I think it is, it doesn't have to be a fear-based vigilance because God's going to get you. No. But it can be a faith-based alertness that says, wake up, don't sleepwalk through this life because you will not make the most of it. Yeah, and, and you'll and miss the opportunities. You will miss the opportunities. Yeah. What you, you'll miss the moments God is sending. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that'll preach. I yeah. think that that'll work. I think we just did. I think we just did. And this is, of course, as you're entering into your kind of stewardship season, this week we're kind of closing ours out. Always Excuse ahead me. of us. A little, well, the Congregational we, Church of we, the Heavy. Oh, always a few weeks We ahead. try. Um, we don't want to be second in anything. Um, but I do <laughs> think, I think this is a great way to kind of close out uh, a, a, a stewardship campaign is to be able to say, mm. guys, those opportunities are all over. Mm. Are we prepared to meet them when they come? And what does that look like? Not just in terms of our finances and that kind of um, practical stuff that we have to take care of. And Although that's for real. That's in this story too. That is too. They, they 
there are those who prepared and brought the practical stuff, like extra fuel with yep. them so that they would be ready. Absolutely. And there's those who didn't, and therefore were not we're ready. Were not ready and missed missed the opportunity when it came. And so I think that this is a great way to be able to talk about um, stewardship, giftedness, preparation, and hope. Um, and, and that understanding that those opportunities are there and they are going to come. We... We're living in a really weird time for the church Mm. uh, in general when it just feels like uh, everything is getting smaller. And uh, I just went to the annual meeting of the Illinois Conference last weekend, which actually was delightful. I believe it. I've seen some good things. Yeah, it was absolutely delightful. And our new new president and general minister, Karen Georgia Thompson, came and she was our keynote speaker. But before that, and this is the really cool part, we had um, a workshop with her to talk about the future of the denomination and the future of the church. And instead of talking a lot... What Karen Georgia Thompson did was say, tell me how you're being church right now, right now, in a time when we're talking about falling membership and falling finances and everybody is freaking out because, you know, church is not the way it was 40 years ago. We went around. Church the, is not the way it was four years ago. Church is not the way it was before the pandemic. Tell you what. Yeah, we went around that room and people talked about the work that they're doing, about soup kitchens and youth groups and um, sharing space with a Hindu uh, congregation Congregation, and all of these ways in which these congregations are meeting the opportunities that are right in front of them with grace because they're prepared. Uh, And I found it deeply, deeply inspiring. What can be something that seems scary, again, this story, it can seem scary if you're reading it from a particular perspective. Another way to look at it is, wow, look at all of the amazing things that are being done. Look at all the amazing things that are before us. The discipline is finding the ones that are the right ones for us right now. Yes. But what you can, by definition, you don't know it ahead of time. Yep. What you can control to some degree is readiness. Yes. And, and I think that's a good conversation. Yeah. Is a certain amount. You, we don't have to get doomsday prepper on this. No. But you can be, there is such a thing as not being ready, as fa- as unfaithfully unready. Like in the sense that we, in the sense of being unexpectant. Yeah. Well, we didn't expect anything to happen. So we didn't plan for anything. So then when the stuff came, we weren't looking for it because we weren't expecting it. And even if we saw it, we we couldn't do anything about it because we weren't ready. Right. So I think there is something about a posture of we have enough faith to prepare for something that we don't know what it is yet. Yes. Yes. Right? Exactly. We have enough faith that God is going to be doing something and is going to need us for something that we are going to get ready for it, whatever it is, and we are going to wait patiently yeah. and so that we're ready when the time comes. Yeah. And I think that's a really good posture for us to have as people, and obviously it's a, it's a really faithful posture to have as congregations. I think so, too. It, it can be hard to maintain, um, but I, I think that that's, that's what these verses are about. But again, that- as congregations, can we move from fear-based vigilance to a faith based sort of alertness alertness and yeah yeah. and i think we can yeah 
and and it, it but it needs to be intentional and we need to be very clear about the difference between those things and how we get there so uh i'm i'm kind of excited about ending well you never I like it you don't really end a stewardship campaign exactly well stewardship is a year-round culture it is yeah, right but, and, yeah. and and so there's still weeks after this in which we're going to be building the budget and 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 receiving pledges and all of that other stuff but to kind of wrap up this particular series I actually think this text is really cool, uh, and it's a great way to kind of get excited about the fact that we're called into partnership with the divine, and there's always something to be done. It kind of turns that ending into a beginning. Yeah. To say, and now the, the faithful waiting starts, which actually, faithful waiting is the story of Advent. So yeah. you're on the cusp of Advent, <laughs> you're transitioning pretty seamlessly yeah. into, it, it's, it's a... Much of our life is this sort of active waiting. Yeah. Um, and that that is its own kind of discipline. Yeah. We fight against impatience. We fight against this sense that unless we're doing, we're not worth as much. Yeah. We fight against boredom. Because um, we fight against different reads on the same situation. Are we faithfully waiting patiently? Or are we just treading water and getting complacent? Yeah. Uh, depends on who you ask, yep. right? And in what season yeah. you ask them. It, it could change from time to time. So, Do we say yes to anything that happens to cross our path because we're just so anxious and available and can't wait for something? Or, as you said, do we show some discipline about what we say yes and no to? Yeah. Great questions. Yeah. Hard to answer, but yeah. ongoing faithful questions. Yes. Yes. Um, Again, something that we do throughout the year. I like it. Yeah. And I like it better then you better stay good because God's coming back any minute. And if he catches you on the wrong side of history, you're in hell forever. Yeah. I mean, I like it better than that. I like it a lot better than that. And uh, and I think that's a more faithful reading I, I think of that it is as too. well. Not just that I like it, but it actually seems to be a little more aligned with the Jesus that we see. And the God in, we in, know. And the God we know. Yep. Anything else for the common good? No. No. All right, well, let's keep it there for all right. before we ruin it. <laughs> Thank you all for spending this time with us. And until we see you again, be well. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.